Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is Behind the Scenes. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. We're all familiar with Thomas Jefferson's political contributions to the country, but he had another passion equal to politics, and that was science. My guest today is Bill Barker, who interprets Thomas Jefferson at Colonial Williamsburg. Thank you, Harmony. I, I have become the better acquainted with Mr. Jefferson over the years as someone so devoted to, uh, to the pursuit of science that, as he said, uh, I've come to realize, were it left to me to, uh, to design my own life, it would be upon a plot of ground uh, amongst my books and in the bosom of my family to pursue a scientific investigation. Uh, that is what he believed his constitution was made for. Uh, he found politics to be a labor, although he was quite good at it. Uh, but he would have desired to be just a private citizen engaged in farming, uh, engaged in bringing up his family, but most importantly in pursuing science. He, he always said, uh, light and liberty go together, uh, that the pursuit of science is one of the greatest efforts to improve the condition of man. Tell me a little bit about the American Philosophical Society. He was president of the United States and of that society. He became a president of the American Philosophical Society. It was begun by Benjamin Franklin in Philadelphia, a society of gentlemen devoted to scientific investigation. This was the era of the Enlightenment, when man began to cast off, as Jefferson would say, the wool of ignorance from their eyes to a mistrust of their own vision and began to believe that they themselves were responsible for the improving of their condition and that uh, the laws of nature and nature's God were amenable uh, to pursuing science. So this is to say that this is an era of self-determination and of empirical observation is what we're beginning to base our logic on rather than fate. Absolutely, and logic and reason play such an important part in this. So where does the American Philosophical Society come in with all that? What is their goal? Their goal is to continue to search the pathways of science, to create and invent uh, mechanics and, and articles and, and search for information that is going to help man improve his condition. And what part does Jefferson play in this? Well, he's Jefferson, I will say, is more or less a follower. Jefferson it certainly invents things, but his inventions are adaptations of what he has seen or heard about, particularly in the conversation of the men uh, involved in the American Philosophical Society. Jefferson is a sounding board. Jefferson is a database. Jefferson is someone continually in communication and correspondence uh, with the gentlemen of the Philosophical Society across the globe, around the world, sharing information. He always said when the greatest amount of information is available at the public bar, the people will always make the correct judgment. He was concerned a great deal with fossils, the natural world. Uh, Jefferson is continually intrigued with the wonders of, of nature all about him. And uh, no, no doubt, having heard about, let alone perhaps discovered himself in his youth, uh, fossilized shells on the top of the Blue Ridge Mountains, certainly in and about where he's living on the southwest uh, range of the Blue Ridge, uh, and those fossilized shells of the tidewater in Virginia, in and about Williamsburg, well, the question naturally arises, how do these fossilized shells, uh, shells arrive at the top of the mountains when we should find them in what has been the, the beds of the ocean? 
so this question is raised in his notes on, on Virginia. And uh, he is one of the first, if not the first, who suggests in his notes perhaps uh, what are now the tops of the mountains were once the beds of the ocean, and they were pushed up, created by some schism in nature. Uh, this is no less in his study of, uh, of archaeology, the Indian mounds in and around Monticello. Uh, what are they? How did they get there? Who, who built them? Was it indeed the aborigines who were here before the white men? Were they those we call Indians in his day, uh, or were they people who were here perhaps even before the Indians? Uh, rather than to errantly dig into these mounds and pull out uh, what is found without any reference to how they were found and what location of the, of the mounds they were found, Jefferson applies a scientific study to it. He applies a grid system so that uh, when uh, he is digging into the mound uh, that is not far from Monticello, he records in what square of the grid he discovers a relic, and he also records in what layer of soil uh, that relic is discovered, believing, of course, quite naturally, that if you're discovering certain relics in, in a strata of soil deeper than others, well, they're older. They were placed there at a time uh, well before other relics might have uh, been placed on top of them. Coincidentally, in the study of the shells, uh, Jefferson applies a, uh, a Linnaean appellation, a, a, a scientific uh, name for the large fossilized scallop shells that he's discovering along the banks of the James River and the York River. The very large ones with about 9 to 12 ridges he refers to as Chestapectin Jeffersonians. Uh, the smaller ones, with less than, say, nine, perhaps around five or seven ridges, he refers to as Chestapectin's Madisonians. Of course, Mr. Madison was somewhat uh, shorter than Mr. Jefferson in stature. And that's a legacy that survives today. That's the state fossil of Virginia. Yes, it is. He was also very interested in the excavation of a mammoth skeleton. In, in, in Big Lick, uh, Kentucky, there was the discovery, uh, as they were digging uh, uh, there, of a... Um, of, of fossilized bones of a very large uh, creature, and uh, he is very curious as to what this could have been. Uh, scientific appli application is applied to it. Uh, the bones that are brought up and discovered are related to particular uh, sections of, of an animal's body, an animal's skeleton, and when they're discovering that this is larger than anything they've discovered before, well, then they start to refer to uh, accounts that are already provided uh, throughout scientific ventures in, in Europe uh, and elsewhere as to what this could have been. Uh, Jefferson refers to it as, uh, as a, a, a woolly mammoth or a large mammoth, uh, long extinct. Uh, he begins to ponder how it, uh, it got here and where it came from. Uh, he excites Charles Wilson Peale. Uh, in this effort, uh, when he has uh, delivered a certain uh, uh, bones from this uh, expedition and this dig, he sends some up to Charles Wilson Peale. And uh, Peale later on paints a, a beautiful um, uh, portrait, if you will, of the actual uh, dig provoking what was this animal, how long ago did it live, and how did it get here? Uh, is almost the same application he's providing to digging into the Indian mounds. Uh, who were these people? How did they get here? And how long did they live? And in both cases, I think this logical approach is something that survives today when people are doing similar archaeological work. Exactly. The application of reason, uh, the eschewing of superstition, uh, emotional uh, involvement, separate yourself from this and just apply reason. 
uh, reckon it out with what uh, information you already have. You know, this uh, leads into another one of his uh, great interests, meteorology, the studying of uh, weathers and, and climates. Uh, Jefferson begins to take uh, accounts of the temperature when he's a young man uh, at Wyman Mary uh, several times a day, uh, usually at what he calls the coolest time of the day before sunrise, uh, usually about the middle of the day, uh, noon or one o'clock, and then at what he calls perhaps the warmest time of the day, which will be three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, he continues to build this database of temperature notations um, between Williamsburg and Charlottesville for several years and arrives finally at a reasoned uh, calculation that uh, over that 120-mile distance, there is on the average a six-degree difference in temperature, six degrees cooler uh, in, the, in the mountains and in the Charlottesville area. So uh, this effort to maintain a database to uh, record temperatures uh, is becomes to him a fascination for what it can reveal and what you can reason out to provide a, a standard or, or a reference. I mean, it is a remarkable lifelong effort uh, to continue uh, these notations in order to form a database. And remember, throughout his life, he's continuing to correspond with all of these other gentlemen that he's either provoking to do the same or have already begun to do the same. And imagine this now, throughout our nation, we're beginning to, to set a foundation for temperature uh, and climate and, and what later becomes our National Weather Bureau is beginning there. The more uh, people read Jefferson, the more they uh, visit uh, the, the places that he was familiar with, uh, be that Williamsburg, Monticello, Poplar Forest, go to Philadelphia, visit the American Philosophical Society, uh, understand that uh, in our government uh, we have the geological surveys, uh, the surveys of the coastlines uh, that were initiated by Thomas Jefferson, uh, the patent office uh, of our nation, again overseen by Thomas Jefferson when he was Secretary of State, is to help us understand that uh, this man was not only remarkable uh, in his curiosity and in his scientific pursuits, but was also such a wonderful example of what we call the Age of Enlightenment. And, uh, and to help us understand that those principles of reason, the principles of scientific investigation, and the, uh, the principle of the individual uh, being able to govern himself and to apply himself for making a better world is, uh, is not only uniquely American, but I think uh, in Jefferson's uh, opinion is fulfilling what is expected of mankind. Uh, to provide not only for himself but for generations yet unborn. In other words, to make for a better world. Our guest today has been Bill Barker, Thomas Jefferson interpreter at Colonia Williamsburg. Join us again next week for a continuation of our discussion of the scientific mind of Thomas Jefferson. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. We like hearing from you. Send us a comment at history.org slash podcasts. Check back often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.